Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So this is week three of our series, and I want to welcome you and welcome those of you in our Vallejo campus, those joining us online. Um, I'm really excited about this series because it just goes to the whole heart of why. And and we started week one with that question, um, why do you do what you do? Not just in your job, but with your life. Why do you live the way that you live? Why do you do what you do? And a lot of people can say, well, this is what I do and this is how I do it. But very few people take the time to think about why. And why is a very important question. And it goes to the ultimate why question, which is why did God place me on this earth? And that's what we're hoping to help you find through this whole series. And for some of you, you've gone through this, you know this, you've got a sense of purpose about your life and you you know why God put you on this earth. But maybe you find yourself at a point of transition in your life and you're kind of wondering, okay, what does it look like now? Um, Maybe some of you did this a while ago, but, but you just started going through the motions and you know what you do and how you do it, but you've kind of forgotten the why and you've lost your passion about the whole thing. Some of you here have never heard this before. Some of you have never gone through this before. And what I'm hoping to do in these five weeks is be your guide, okay? Because this is a life journey, and we're all on it together. And my job, I think, is to be a guide for you, to help you discover or define or reshape God's purpose for your life. And, um, and so it's a journey. I'm your guide, and we together are doing this because, as we said last week, you need a community to help you discover it because you don't do this on your own. Your life purpose is not about you. It's about your contribution. It will be others-focused. It will be outward-focused because it's about your contribution to this world. And the second part of it is that it's where you are making a difference, where you're having impact. And, and those two things, at the end of this whole series, hopefully you're going to be able to say, this is why I do what I do. This is what the contribution I'm making in this world, and this is how it's making an impact on those around me. And it might be globally, or it might just be those in your family, or on your job, or in your classroom, wherever it might be. But the whole idea is discovering your life purpose. And our core values as a church come right out of each of these principles, and so each week, actually, we've been talking about, as a church, how that looks. And, and it's our why. Those core values are why we do what we do the way that we do it. So we've discovered that as a church. I'm hoping to lead you through that. So this is the set, uh, third one. And what we're going to be talking about today is this. Our core value is that we're all people in process. Today, I want to talk about the process. And it's found from our scripture we're going to start with in Romans chapter 8. If you want to turn there, I'm going to start reading in verse 22. Paul writes, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, We wait for it patiently. And in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, 
God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So we started week one, that it all begins with your relationship with God. He loves you. He made you. He knows what's best for you, and he wants the best for you. So discovering your life purpose starts with your relationship with God. Last week, we talked about the importance of community and other people who speak into your life and have impact on your life. Today, I want to talk about three other aspects of how God shapes your life. And we're going to jump around a little bit more in Scripture than I normally do. But it really comes down to these three things. These are three other things that God uses to shape your life. I want to start with this one. That God shapes your life through practical teaching. To discover your life purpose requires a change in the way that you think. It's a change in your whole perspective on life. It's learning to look at it from God's perspective. We looked at this scripture in verse one, uh, week one. Romans 12, 2 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You've got to change your way of thinking. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. That's your purpose. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. If you're going to discover God's purpose for your life, it's got to change the way that you think. And the best way to do that is through scripture. But not just filling our heads with information, but actually applying it. A year and a half ago, if you came around this place, or this campus, we were under construction, okay? And it was messy, it was dirty, there was a whole lot of stuff going on. If you had come here at the beginning of that construction process, and there was a backhoe operator out here operating his machinery and digging a trench, and you went up to him and he says, what are you doing? He'd say, I'm digging a trench. If you asked him why he was doing it, well, that's a different story. There's a purpose for him digging the trench because digging the trench is where the foundation is going to go. So you dig the trench so that the steel guys can come in and they tie the steel and then the concrete guys come in and they pour the concrete and and that's how the building is built. the, The backhoe operator is just one part of this bigger picture of building the building. Your purpose is just one part of God's bigger purpose in this world. That God is working redemptively in this world, and your purpose is a part of that work. And the only way to do that is to learn what God has to say about it. And that's where practical teaching comes in. Our, our, our change of mind comes from our understanding of Scripture, and it needs to be not just understood, but applied. Look at James 1.21 says, humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. In other words, if it's just about information and you don't do anything, you're just kidding yourself. He says, what it takes is, first of all, humility, that I have to understand I don't have all the answers to life. I don't have the answer to these bigger questions. That I need a source greater than myself. And then accept means I take his word into my life. I listen to it. I understand it. And then I do what it says. That, that I start to live it out in my life. And that's why we have put such an emphasis here at Northgate on practical application Bible teaching. We teach from scripture, but we always do it with a sense of, now here's what you can do with this. At the end of every one of our services, we end with a time of response because just understanding information but not responding to it, it doesn't do much good. I mean, it's good information. 
It's godly information. It's wise information. But if it's just information without any application, then it really is not making a difference. In fact, it can be counterproductive. James says, you're just kidding yourself. Look at this next scripture. 1 Corinthians 8. Knowledge puffs up while love builds up. If you're just filling your mind with information, that just gives you a swelled head. But he says love, which is the application of God's word, that builds up, that causes growth. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. In other words, if you're just filling your mind with knowledge and you're not applying it, you might think you know, but you don't really know. You don't know in the way you ought to know because that requires application. And without the application, it's actually counterproductive because you think you know, but you don't know until you do. And if you ask anybody who is living out what they know is God's purpose for their life, I bet if you ask any one of them, they would tell you at some point they became part of a church or some ministry or some Bible study where somebody taught in a life application way. So they not only understood, but they knew how to respond and how to put it into their life and how to act on it and live it out. That's why we put such an emphasis on practical teaching. It's one of the things that God uses. 2 Timothy 3 puts it this way. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful. It's useful. It's to be put to use. It's useful for teaching our understanding, for showing people what is wrong, how we need to change, and correcting faults how to actually make the change, and teaching how to live right. That is the purpose of God's word. And if I just fill my head with it, I'm kidding myself, I'm getting a swelled head about it, but I don't really know what I think I know. Now, when you start taking in life application teaching, when you start to understand how God's word applies to your life, what that does is it begins to change the way that you look at your life. And that's the second thing that God uses. He uses personal experiences. God shapes your life through the experiences that you have gone through. As you understand and apply scripture, and you begin to understand that God is at work in every aspect of my life, then I begin to look at my life differently. Romans eight twenty eight. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. There's the word again. That God uses all things for good, for my purpose, which is a part of his purpose. And he gave us very specific experiences throughout our lives that we practice, some of them we practice together as a church family. God gave these experiences. We celebrate, last weekend we did it. Every, every month we celebrate communion together. That is a practice, that is an experience that God gave to his people so that it would provide provide that touchstone for us and a constant reminder of his grace to us and how he has changed our lives. Another one is baptism. We've got this baptism coming up. And, And if you've not been baptized, that is an experience. And it becomes a benchmark for the rest of your life. And and if you're here and you become a follower of Jesus Christ and you have never been baptized, that is an experience that you need to take on. That is something that you need to do. Sometimes, and this has happened, I've talked to people and said, you know what, I have been a Christ follower for like 10, 15, 20 years, and I just never got around to being baptized. It's too late now. Why should I do it now? Because it's an experience that God designed for us, and it helps us grow. It's part of that shaping process in our lives. 
So if you've not been baptized, whether you're a brand new believer or you've been a believer for a long time, you think it's you know, way past time, do it. It is an experience that God uses to shape your life. He also uses the everyday experiences. Everything, he says, all things, God works for the good. Now, notice, by the way, he doesn't say that God causes all things. Have you ever noticed, have you ever, have you ever noticed that God gets a whole lot of blame for stuff that goes bad, but not a lot of credit for the stuff that goes good? Have you ever noticed that? We have a hurricane, you know, whole cities are flooded. That's an act of God. Sun comes up, nobody says, that's an act of God. <laughs> he gets a whole lot of blame for the bad stuff, but not enough credit for the good. And what he does is he works in both the bad and the good. Sometimes people go through a really rough time and say, why is God doing this to me? God is not doing it to you. It's just that we live in a broken world. In fact, look at this verse, verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning. You ever felt that way? Groaning is in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves groan inwardly. Anybody ever done any groaning? <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's that when, the, when it's overwhelming and you can't take it anymore. And there's that, oh, I can't do this anymore. God works even in the groanings. He doesn't cause them. It's just the result of living in a broken world. But see, God's work in this world is he is in the process of healing and redeeming and and bringing good out of bad in this world. And he does it in your own life. Here's a practice. I encourage you to go home and do this today or sometime this week. Get out a piece of paper and do landscape, you know, wider than tall. And what I, what I encourage you to do, I actually did this about a year, almost two years ago, um, with a life coach. And I found it very, very helpful how God works through the peaks and valleys of your life. So go home today, take out a piece of paper, and write down the middle of it a dotted line. Okay? Then what you do on the left-hand side is on a scale of 1 to 10, 5 being the dotted line, and then 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 above that, 4, 3, 2, 1 below that. And then along the bottom, your ages at 10 years old, 20 years old, 30, 40, 50, 60, however old you are, okay? And then what you do is think back of the turning points in your life, those experiences in your life that that fundamentally changed you, that put you on a different course, and it might be events Events that you experience, it might be people who had an impact on your life. It might be some major decisions that became turning points for your life or some accomplishments in your life. But, but think about those turning points. And I'm going to give you an example of some of mine. Not all of them, but some of them. And, and you should at least be able to come up with at least 10 of them. And then put them on this scale, depending on the age, how they affected you. Anything above the five line, that, that was a positive experience. Anything below the five line was a negative experience. So, so here's mine. At 12 years old, I attended a middle school camp. And at that middle school camp, for the very first time in my life, I got this sense that maybe God might be calling me as a pastor. Now, I was 12 years old. So what, <laughs> what does that mean? Not much. But it was the first time in my life that I ever considered the fact that maybe God had a plan for my life that wasn't necessarily my plan. Now, I was a middle schooler, so it was quickly forgotten. (laughs) But I went on through my life. 
I was going to be an architect. I, went, I graduated high school. I went to community college. I took all of my general ed. I took some design classes, some architecture classes. And then I applied to get into UC Berkeley School of Environmental Design. And I got rejected. I didn't get in. That was like a three. That was a disappointment. And that, what that, now what am I going to do? Reapply in the fall. Because that was the only school that I really wanted to go to. That was the only school I really applied to. And I didn't get in. And I was devastated. I didn't know what to do. My pastor, he had known, I've talked to him a few times about this idea of pastoral ministry. And he said to me, you know, since you have a free semester, why don't you just enroll at Simpson College? See if you can go there. Take some Bible college. Take some theology classes. And and just see what God might do with it. That became a turning point in my life. I enrolled at Simpson College. And that's where I graduated from. And in that time, God began to direct me more and more towards pastoral ministry. When I was 21, I married Betty. That was a turning point. It was a positive. Here at a 9.5, it really should be a 10. (laughs) I said that last service because she was here. Um, (laughs) But it was. It was a big, big time in my life. And and a good thing. It was a positive thing. And then shortly after... she, we got married in my senior year. I graduated, and then I went and took my first ministry position. And it was a wonderful position, about an eight. And I was a youth pastor at a church, and it was a wonderful church. It was a great church. It was, a, it was in a little tiny town, but it was a growing church, and just good things was happening. And the people that I worked with and the people that, everything about it was a positive experience. And I loved it. And it was my first taste of pastoral ministry. From there, I took a position at a church in Ferndale, Washington. That's the one down here. (laughs) Worst year of my life. Only there one year. The church was half of a split. The church had had a split. The pastor had taken half the church, went down the street and started a brand new church. Left this half without a pastor. One of my friends became the senior pastor went there, and then shortly after he had been there, called me uh, to become an associate pastor there. And I prayed about it. I thought, this is what God wants me to do. Betty and I, we both felt this is where God was leading us. We took that position, and it was miserable. The church was struggling financially. There was bitterness and hurt and anger still in there. And I was a young guy, so I thought I had all the answers, and that doesn't work very well, you know? And after one year, I was out of the ministry, out of a job, (laughs) A low point in my life. Moved back to San Francisco. Actually went to work for my dad. Worked construction for about four or five years. Had the opportunity to join the pastoral staff of the church that I had grown up in in San Francisco. Bethel Christian Church. And out of that church, we launched Northgate. Now, that rates as an eight. Only because at that point in my life, I wasn't sure if it was going to (laughs) work. I was excited, but I was terrified at the same time. It was a positive experience, and yet it was very, very challenging. Um, but it, wasn't a, it was a positive thing. And after a couple of years, the church grew, and we moved into a, the warehouse on the other side of the freeway, and that was still a positive thing. Not quite as exciting as, as the launch, but, but still, it was a positive thing in my life. And then um, we had 20 acres of land donated to us, and, and we were raising funds to be able to start the church, uh, to build this new building on this 20 acres of land. And we had done six years of, of fundraising and capital campaigns and people giving above and beyond their regular tithes and offerings. And, and we had raised almost $2 million, about a million and a half to $2 million, somewhere in there. But we started getting the bids back from the actual construction, 
And it was like $6 million. (laughs) That's where it rated on the scale. Wiped me out. I, at that moment, sunk into an incredible depression. I felt like a failure. I thought, how do I go back to these people who for six years have sacrificially given for this thing and tell them, sorry. And I was wiped out and actually fell into a clinical depression that I still battle to this day. It was a low point in my life. God used that too. A few years later, moved up here, got the building built. And about five, six years ago, we started to put together the ministry team that we have now, the pastoral staff that we have now. And it started to come together in a way that was just incredible. And working together with these people that, that serve you in this church and, and the team and the camaraderie and just how that all started to come together. And man, it just, it just it changed me. And then, of course, last year we celebrated our 25th anniversary together as a church. So those are the highs and lows. So I don't know what your highs and lows look like, but just go through and just say, you know, and put them honestly where they were and then connect the dots. And what you will see is that your life was filled with highs and lows, highs and lows, and that's how life goes. But what Paul says in Romans is that God works in all of these. Had I not been rejected at UC Berkeley, I would never have taken the path towards pastoral ministry. Had I not gone through that experience in Ferndale, Washington, that fundamentally changed me as a person and as a pastor. And even that four or five years out of pastoral ministry was all part of that whole thing. But God did some incredible work through that. Even my depression and that terrible experience and and thinking back on that, I would never want to go through anything like that again. But God used all of those things to shape me. And if you do your graph, I can guarantee you, if you look at it, you will probably recognize, you know, God was there. God did this. This is how he changed me. This became a turning point. And God was working and has worked in all of those things to shape me. You might be in the middle of one of those low points. I'm telling you right now, if you are at one of those really low, low points, God is still at work. It doesn't feel like it. You can't see him. You can't hear him. And you're just struggling right now. But I'm telling you. God works. Good. His works are good. And you may be here and you're not even a Christ follower. I'm going to tell you. God has been working in your life without you even knowing it. (laughs) Because that's what he does. He does his redemptive work, even in the most difficult times of your life. And if you will do this, what you will do then is start looking at this. What are the lessons that I learned? In the highs and the lows, what messages came to me? What became those life messages now of my life? What are some of the themes that you find in that pattern of how God has worked? God uses all of those things to shape us. Romans 5 says this, we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And and that's the deal. I don't know if you noticed how many of those we knows are in that passage. We know that everybody groans. (laughs) It says we know all creation groans. 
But we know that in all things, God works good. And we know that what he's producing is perseverance, character, and hope. Because God uses those experiences to shape our lives. And then the last thing, as he does that, there's one more important thing, and it's private disciplines. Because just that practical teaching for 25 to 30 minutes on a Sunday morning is not going to be enough to sustain you. You need to build into your own life this constant walk with God because that's where you will learn to recognize Him in the moments. That's where you will learn to trust Him even when you don't understand. And, and disciplines, that is not a word we like because that sounds like a lot of hard work and a lot of effort. And it is. I'm going to be honest with you. It is. It is. But if I could paraphrase Dave Ramsey, because he talks about it in terms of your finances, but disciplines are doing what you may not want to do now so that you can do what you want to do later. He puts it this way in your finances. Live like nobody else is living so you can live like no one else is living later. And that's the idea. Disciplines always produce freedom they produce character see anybody here take piano lessons am i okay a few of you took that okay i took piano lessons i wanted to play the piano my sisters were taking piano lessons i thought that was cool i'd like to learn how to play the piano i loved learning wanting to learn how to play the piano i hated practicing (laughs) and i struggled with it for you know two or three years and i just i didn't have the discipline now i wish i had It would be nice to be able to sit down at the piano and know what I was doing. It's hard to practice the piano. It's hard to take the lessons. It's hard to practice your scales. You know what's harder? Trying to sit down at the piano having no idea how to play it. That's much harder. Disciplines are the things that help you do what you want to do later. James 1. He says, "This this this is what you do with God's word. You look intently. Whoever looks intently, in other words, you take that time on your own into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it. That's the discipline, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it. They will be blessed in what they do. It's the discipline of it. It's about developing habits. Dallas would put it this way. Spiritual disciplines are designed to disrupt bad habits and replace them with good habits. And a habit is really what you do without thinking. You do it often enough that it just becomes a part of your routine. And spiritual disciplines are a part of that. And it might be a regular time with God, what many Christians call a quiet time of reading and reflecting and prayer. Um, It might be journaling. It might be, there's all kinds of different spiritual disciplines. But as you give yourself to them, they become so much a natural part of who you are that they become that habit to the point that if you miss it, you feel like something's missing. But you got to do some of the effort at the front end of all of that. And as you do, you begin to get a greater sense of purpose about your life. Paul wrote to a young pastor named Timothy, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself holy to them so that everyone may see your progress we are all people in process but we need to be making progress in the process and god does it through practical teaching personal experiences 
and private disciplines. Because your life purpose is not just about what you do, it's the person that you become. Would you bow your heads with me? And this time I'm going to turn it over to uh, the Vallejo campus host to walk you through this next part of our service. It's like I said, we always give people an opportunity to think and reflect. Where does this hit you? What changes might need to take place in your life? Here's my big, big question. How is God shaping you these days? It might be that you are going through one of those valleys. And it's hard to believe that anything good could come out of that. But God works good. He works redemptively. And maybe for you today, it's just just a God, this is so hard, but I'm going to trust you. And I can't see how this could ever turn out for any good, but I believe you can do that. Just give me the strength to endure. For some of us here, it might just be making a a determined effort, a, a, a real commitment to being regularly in our gatherings where we do practical teaching so you can get that godly perspective for your life. It might be making a decision today about personal disciplines, spiritual disciplines, taking the time each day, carving 20 minutes or so out of your day to just be with God. I don't know where God's speaking to you, but I believe He has. He is, and I believe there is a response. There should always be a response to God's Word. So if any one of those three hit you, and if I could pray for you as we close, I would love that opportunity. Would you just raise your hand, look up, catch my eye, because I want you to know I'm going to pray with you and for you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe you're here today, and it really, you're at the first step stage. You've been living life, doing your own thing, fulfilling your own desires, and you never thought about purpose, godly purpose. And maybe today for you, it's a first step of faith. It's a willingness to admit, God, I can't do this on my own. And I have enough failure and mistakes um, and, and struggle to show that. What I need is your forgiveness. What I need is to put my life in your hands. I want to follow you. I want to find your purpose for my life. And if you've never done that before, that simple prayer can open up a brand new life for you. And I would love to lead you in that prayer. So if you've never taken that first step of faith, but today that's where God's prompting you. Same thing, would you just raise your hand and look up, catch my eye, and acknowledge you and pray with you. Yeah. So would you join me in prayer? Lord, you know us. You know what's going on in our lives. You know the struggles, the ups, the downs. You know the discipline that we need. And everyone that raised a hand here this morning is saying, I can't do this on my own. And I don't even understand how it all works. But today, Lord, I'm, I'm committing my part to follow you. 
I want to fulfill your purpose for my life. So I'm turning it over to you today. And if this is a first time step for you, then this is the prayer. God, I can't do this on my own. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. By what you did for me on the cross, would you take that and apply it to my life? Forgive me, restore me, redeem me. I am putting my life in your hands and I want to follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.